Welcome to The Penny Drops, the Royal London podcast series simplifying finance to help more people, like you, make better informed money decisions. Each episode, Andrea Fox grills a guest to get the best tips on issues such as savings, pensions, budgeting, debt, family finance, marriage and retirement. She's finding the answers we're looking for and getting expert tips that you can put into action. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. This month's episode was recorded in February 2020 before any government restrictions were put in place in relation to coronavirus. Please visit gov.uk forward slash coronavirus for up-to-date information on financial support and travel. Hi, I'm Andrea Fox, presenter and broadcast journalist, and this is The Penny Drops, where I speak to some of the best financial experts out there. And on today's episode, we're talking money and sustainability. And I'm joined by the founder of ethicalconsumer.org, Rob Harrison. Rob, welcome. Hey, good to see you. Thank you so much for coming in. I'm really excited about talking about sustainability and money because I feel like we're having a lot of conversations about sustainability. But today, no plastic straws will be mentioned, I imagine. Excellent. No, I'm happy with that. (laughs) Me too. So first off, we should talk about what Ethical Consumer is. What, What are you guys doing at Ethical Consumer? Our mission is to make business more sustainable through consumer pressure. And we mainly do that by publishing buyer's guides, a bit like you'd see in Witch, to everything from banks to baked beans. And you can kind of read our tables and you have the most, you know, ethical, sustainable companies at the top and the worst ones at the bottom. And then we give masses of detailed information for people who don't necessarily believe what we say. So we're a big old research group based in Manchester. That is sounds very helpful. Do you use like a red light system as well on your website? Like, like green, yellow, red. Yeah, we've got yeah colour. Yeah, so the green ones are good, and then mm. the orange ones are a bit of a worry, and the red ones we say avoid. You know, it's so. nice and easy for people to kind of understand that, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, they're massively complex ethics in consumer markets, and people haven't got a lot of time. You know, we try and make it as simple as possible. Some people use, you know, five-star bands, but we have three colours, or a score out of 20 is mainly what we do. You actually founded Ethical Consumer as well, so has this always been your career path? Have you always been into ethics and sustainability? Well, I guess when we were students at university, we were just involved in quite a lot of protest campaigns, the way you are when you're a student. Oh, yeah. And, and I still am. <laughs> 30 years ago, you know, it was apartheid South Africa. There were boycotts there. There was stuff around animal testing in cosmetics. There was stuff around, you know, CFCs in aerosols. So it was a, it was a similar landscape, but different problems. And, you know, the consumer activist had some real impact in that decade. So we just wanted to explore what what else they could do, really. And we ended up, you know, here 30 years later. Well, it's nice to know that you've kind of always had that sort of like social justice streak. But I wanted to kick off because I think people hear the word sustainable and they hear the word ethical. But if you ask them to give a definition, everyone gives a different one. So when it comes to ethical and sustainable, what do those words mean to you, Rob? So You're already sighing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a sense, you can get a bit kind of uh, geeky around the language. And by and large, they all mean the same sort of thing. And they're about companies just trying not to do the most profitable thing at every possible moment, you know, whatever the impact on, on people around them. 
And, um, you know, sustainable was a popular word in the 90s, and it meant environmentally sustainable at the time. People then kind of realized that you needed to, to have a human rights angle in there, or, or, or the arguments didn't stack up. So it's come to mean environment and human rights. We sort of prefer the word ethical because it encompasses, it's a bit broader than that, and you can include animal issues in there, you can include, you know, selling tobacco, all sorts of other things that are that are problematic in, in modern consumer markets. So, yeah, and an investment, you get socially responsible investment, you get ESG, you know, environmental, social and governance uh, for the big institutional investors. So there's, but by and large, they all mean the same which is just trying, you know, to be careful around the the huge impact that big companies can have for they're not just thinking about other people a little bit. That's quite helpful, I think, for consumers to just think like these, they're taking into, these companies might be taking things into, you know, looking at the bigger picture, I suppose. Yeah, and that's really, you know, I think people have realised that that's what needs to happen in mm. big global markets now because, you know, the regulators are just not there. So looking at our own personal finances and spending then, uh, some simple things that we can do every day, you think, to become more responsible? What would you say those would be? Around spending, you know, lots of people are really concerned about the impact of mass consumerism, all the huge amounts of clothes being bought. And, um, I knew you were going to start so, with clothes. That's definitely one of the moments yeah. we're talking about a lot, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, so so lots of people are exploring the idea of just buying less stuff, you know, and just doing... It's so out there, isn't it, though, for our society today to just maybe just buy a bit less? Yes. What? You know, so, so, you know, I mean, but there's lots of, you know... There's lots of interesting exploration of how that isn't just a really crazy thing to think, you know, and, um, you know, you've got minimalism and Marie Kondo and all this kind of stuff. You're looking at it from a different point of view, but actually it's, you know, it's much more sustainable just to kind of ease up on the spending a little bit. So that's quite easy. Around the person... And good for the wallet as well, we should point out. Very good for the wallet as well. Yeah, no, and cheap. <laughs> and... And around the personal finance, you know, there's big concern now around climate impacts of uh, financial institutions, really. And, you know, so um, I think that's one for the, to, to look out for this year. And I guess we're going to talk a little bit in more detail about that as, yeah. uh, later on. We're going to get into sort of uh, banks and maybe some bigger things. But when it comes to, I'm thinking like the high street, we spend a lot of money, don't we? Like heading out to the high street or actually shopping online for lots of different things at the moment, whether it be clothes that you've bought up, beauty products, electricals. So when it comes to picking those, how can ethical consumer, what would you sort of recommend are the choices we need to think about to spend more consciously when it comes to those things? I get one, we, we, at Ethical Consumer, we take sort of two views about ethical stuff. And we say that not everyone is necessarily going to agree on their ethics. Some people are avid vegans, other people like to eat meat. You know, some people think... Um, you know, the diesel cars are a big problem, but other people think, you know, the, the carbon impact's more important. So there's lots of kind, of kind of quite a lot of detail around people's different, but there isn't a single ethical viewpoint that is, you know, arguably correct. So we say lots of people, so we try and present information in a way that allows people with a variety of views to use it, to, to find it useful for them. And we say that in most, you know, most modern consumer markets, there are 20, 40, 100 different brands to choose from. And there's always going to be some that are just trying a bit harder and some that really don't care. And we're trying to, <laughs> you know, and we're just trying to make that story accessible to ordinary people, just trying to 
to help people spot. You know, from from you know from electronics, we've got you know we have the Fairphone now, which is. I was going to say, I think know, I've used your website when I wanted to look for a new phone, yeah, and Fairphone yeah. comes out really highly recommended. We should probably explain exactly what Fairphone is. So Fairphone was set up by a group of campaigners to try to get conflict minerals out of phone supply chains because lots of stuff in your phone is, is mined in quite poor conditions in, in areas where there's war in, in sub-Saharan Africa. And so Fairphone was an attempt to solve that problem that's, you know, that's doing okay. So, you know, even in, in really complicated sectors like that, you know, we're beginning to see emergence of new companies trying to do things in a different way. Um, you know, but but pretty much, you know, every every product that you can get, you can find, you know, a producer that's slightly more aligned to your own values than one that isn't. I think that's really helpful as well because it's not like all companies are necessarily shouting about this, although we have seen quite a bit. But a lot of people would say, well, that's greenwashing from some of the big companies. Just for anyone who isn't sure, what exactly is greenwashing? So, in in a sense, it's making green claims that don't stand up. You know, it's the big issue in the room, and so the green so, elephant in the room, shall we call it? Yeah, let's call it that. <laughs> so, how do you sort of get around that as a consumer? Essentially, you don't take a company's word for what it says, and you have to not trust them because it's in their interest, in a way, to paint themselves as being virtuous when perhaps they're not. You can maybe charge a bit more for your product that way. You know, so there's lots of, you know, there is lots of greenwash and malpractice and probably just plain lies uh, uh, in that space. And so we say don't trust company, look for someone else who is saying this company is good. And so in, in a sense, you know, the fair trademark on teas and coffees is that kind of process. So there are now lots of ethical labels in consumer markets, which are a way that companies work with people you're more likely to trust, like Oxfam around, around this kind of stuff. And they go, yeah, actually, we've had a look at all this stuff. And, and we think that what they're saying in this case is true. Mm. And so, so, yeah, that's what we do at Ethical Consumer. We try and, you know, dig down into the detail and just see whether, they, whether there's anything to kind of verify what it is that the claims that they're making. That's helpful because you're already getting into the nitty gritty for people because let's face it, who, who has the time to do a lot of this research, really? Um, I wanted to ask if there are any specific things. You mentioned fair trade there as well. Any other things we should look out for to know if companies are ethical or sustainable? It's supply chains that are where the, you know, we're not talking about finance now, less so. But, but more what but, we spend our money yeah, on, which you know, is in involved in that, isn't it? clothing yeah. and all this kind of stuff. We know that supply chains head off around the world. You know, they can involve, you know, 10 different countries in a single garment, people making all sorts of different bits. Wow. You know, there can be labour issues, there can be health and safety issues, there can be all sorts of stuff out there. And so we spend a lot of time looking at supply chains and looking at what companies are saying about their supply chains and how honest it looks. Um, and certainly the, the modern, yeah, the cutting edge of, of, of retail and, and ethical consumer markets is being transparent about your supply chains. So if you go, you can look at Marks and Spencers and see all their factories are listed on their websites now. Yeah. You can do it with Nike shoes and this kind of stuff. So you can. we're beginning to see companies just opening up and being honest. These are all the factories we use. If you find a problem, let us know. We'll, we'll try and fix it rather than just hoping that no one looks. 
Um, because by and large, the journalists find their way to the end of your supply chain and then you're in trouble. Yeah. Um, moving on to like food as well. We spend so much of our money on food, don't we? When it comes to veganism and plant-based diets, um, are there any other ways we could be more sustainable when it comes to like food shopping, for example? Yeah, I mean, there's been lots of talk about buying more seasonal stuff or stuff more locally, but there's a bit of a debate about whether that really is a reduced impact. Oh, really? So again, yeah, so again... So it I can eat my bananas and avocado and I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, possibly. It depends on what impacts you're thinking are most important to fix at uh, any given time. That's so, the but, hard juggle, I think, though, with sustainability. Like, I'm not a vegan, I'm trying to use less plastic, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's a juggle, when it, especially when you go to the supermarket, I think. I think so because carbon is such a big issue now um, and I think you know it's, it's, it's quite difficult for people to change the way they travel or their houses all this kind of stuff but you can change the meal in front of you quite easily which I think That's is really why we're point. seeing a lot of growth of veganism because it's it's one of the easiest things that just requires free Monday yeah you know all this kind of Vegan stuff Vegan Tuesday and, um, and, and indeed the type of veganism that we're seeing now is much more I, I guess um, it's less fussed about detail in a way. A couple of days a week is fine mm. or, you know, this kind of stuff. It's not it's, it's not quite so religiously adhered to as the sort that we saw 20 or 30 years ago, um, which means that it's more accessible, I guess, that way. Yeah. And I think there's that quote, isn't there, about sustainability? Like, we don't want everyone to be doing zero waste. One person doing zero waste perfectly is useless. We need everyone to be trying more plant-based stuff, thinking about sustainability when it comes to everything, including their finances. Um, so let's get onto that a little bit. Let's start off with the home. Um, utilities and things like that. When it comes to switching to green energy, I have heard it's more expensive. Is that really the case? So, yeah, I mean, green energy is another of those markets that the kind of more you look at it, the more messy it gets. And it's, oh, so, it's, so it's not, you know, it's, it's not it's not a lovely story. And in a sense, although there are companies out there that go, you can buy green energy from us. Look, we're really price competitive. Actually, it's probably not that different. You know, you're not really making much impact with what you spend. And in a, and when we looked at the markets, there are a couple of companies that, that charge a bit more. And basically, they're doing a much, you know, much, having a much greater impact on on you know sustainability than oh, the really? ones that aren't and so so that might be the thing to look at if you are thinking i really want to make a change with my energy supply and maybe go for the one that is yeah you know the ones that are just not quite so price competitive there are a couple there are two or three companies that the regulator allowed not to price cap because they felt that they were making a you know an important contribution oh. to changing the way generation or, or an additional contribution to the way that generation was being made so when it comes to some other ways we can be more eco-friendly at home, are there any that help us to be more eco-friendly at home but also maybe save us some cash? <laughs> Well, I mean, we've to spend on that higher priced uh, green energy yeah, provider, yeah, we yeah. need. I mean, you know, we've already we've already discussed buying less. You know, yeah, it's such an easy one. It's funny how we find it so hard. I think just use the things you have until yeah, they wear out. And there's lots of you know, and buying second hand, you know, is always cheaper. Um, so there's a whole load of you know, not brand new stuff that's actually you know has has really decent environmental impacts to do that stuff. Um, and there's a bit of it, you know, there's a debate at the moment about veganism. Is it cheaper, more expensive? Are people taking people for a ride? It's certainly possible to do it really cheap because lots of basic vegetables and stuff aren't expensive. Pound you know, of lentils so. or a pound of beef. Exactly. You know, it's uh, so, so, you know, um, the, there are ways of doing it cheaply. And, you know, the readers of our magazine are, come from, you know, they're not just rich middle class folk. They're all sorts of folk, you know, 
without a lot of cash either. So there's, there's always a way. That's good to know. Every, everyone could do something at every sort of like price point wherever you are at in life. Pretty much. Um, so let's talk about something which I do think is quite privileged when we get to travel. Like maybe not so much commuting, but there are things we can do, I'm guessing, from your daily commute to where you go on holiday if you're lucky enough to do that. So where would you say we can make more sustainable choices there? Yeah, I, you know, so it's, it's, it's been an interesting last 12 months and there's been, you know, uh, and in a sense, the airline industry is in a bit of a, yeah, I think, scratching its head a little bit because it's beginning to bit see... A navel-gazing. Yeah, I mean, it's beginning to see a real impact, I think, on people just trying to fly a bit less um, because the whole kind of climate emergency has found a new word called emergency, which kind of makes it all feel slightly more pressing. And... Um, you know, so, so you know, people are trying not to fly so much. Um, and, you know, we're really beginning to see the impact of that now. Um, you know, when we look at other stuff, we say, you know, electric cars are great. If you can afford one of those, get one of those. Um, but they're not cheap. Mm, In, especially if you want uh, a Tesla. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But when it comes to day-to-day travelling, commuting, is there anything that we can do to reduce our impact on the environment and also possibly maybe our wallets? Yeah, yeah. so yeah, public transport is an obvious one if you can get on a train these days because they're quite busy. Um, and uh, cycling works too. Uh, that can be cheaper. Doesn't work for everyone, but you know, if you're a reasonable distance from the home, uh, so yeah, those are two obvious ones. Maybe do that balance. If you're cycling to work, maybe you can afford to have a flight to Tenerife. Yeah, all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, people are beginning to to learn carbon literacy a little bit and just kind of uh, and be realistic about about you know where a balance lies. Mm. Have you heard of that word as well? Um, uh, I think it might be Scandinavian flight scam so that's quite a like your this is yeah, the social yeah. thing we're talking about here i don't think the words cut across here that much though but it is basically being people feeling ashamed that they yeah. have got a flight flight shaming yes yeah, flight yeah, shaving yeah. it's it's so funny that that's uh, we've taken hygge from them and now we're getting flight shaming from them uh, thank you scandinavia <laughs> Um, now, I think this is the big one um, for me personally that I'm really interested to talk about. Um, personal finances. How can we be more conscious when it comes to the things we use every day, the current accounts, the ICEs, the savings? What are some of the words we should be looking out for as well? Because you mentioned SRI at the start mm. of our chat. Can you just explain what SRI means? SRI stands for socially responsible investment. And it's just another term that people use for ethical, social sustainable investment so how would you go about looking at all of that kind of stuff rob is is there anything that we should look out for to try and find a company that is uh, more sustainable and ethical in its practices yes i think transparency so we need to look to see whether the the financial institutions are being transparent about what they're doing once they've got hold of your money Um, and that's probably the key thing each of those markets in, in uh, of itself is complicated and full of detail, but the kind of broad, the broad themes are is that kind of the campaigners like you know XR who are in the streets are beginning to realise that so long as the financial institutions, the big 
the big financial institutions in the world are still funding new coal mines or new oil wells. That actually, the you know the, a lot of the other stuff is is gonna is not going to help a great deal. Not flying and all this kind of stuff. So it wow. it needs to be. So people are beginning to realise that the the kind of core power that financial institutions have to steer the rest of the economy in a way. And so there's a lot of detail now looking at who they're actually invested in. And some of this isn't old. You know, when I mentioned when we started, we were looking at South Africa and apartheid and the churches in the UK tried to take their money out of companies that were in South Africa because of, of apartheid. Wow. And indeed, there were, you know, there were boycotts of banks that were there. Um, so, so that, and, and, you know, for a long time, people have been, you know, conscious about not investing in tobacco companies mm. so big big funds that looked after the pensions of health workers for example tended to not buy shares in tobacco companies because it didn't kind of make sense to be you know having a decent pension at one end but spending your day fixing people who you know with lung cancer in the daytime it's it's not joined up thinking really yeah. from those early kind of developments there people have begun to realize how important financial institutions are and and actually how you know because you know a lot of them are, are, are reliant on ordinary people giving their savings to them you know actually the ordinary people have got a chance to do stuff in this space by going you know i don't want that and so so there are lots of campaigns now emerging particularly around climate and you know investment in in you know in oil and gas and coal particularly at the moment but lots of other stuff as well and um so we're yeah no, let, let's let's stop stop there for the moment. Let you get a question in, otherwise <laughs> no. I'll just ramble for hours. No, this is good because I think um, I remember when I opened up a, a pension, I was putting something mm. pitiful in there, mm. um, and I think at the bank they went, "You can basically choose whether you want your money going in arms and stuff or not. Do you want that?" And I said, "No to that, please." But that was about as much as they would tell me. So you mentioned the word transparency a while ago. Is this more helpful now to have that transparency? of banks going, well, this is where your savings, for example, are going to go. Yeah, so I think, you know, I think this is going to be the direction of travel for financial institutions probably over the next five to ten years. They're just going to have to be more honest about where the money is going. I think lots of them are quite reluctant. But we're also, as we were saying earlier, you know, there is there, there is quite a radical new transparency emerging there. It's partly, you know, we were talking about BlackRock. BlackRock is a huge US investment institution. You can go on their website and see how, um, you know, look at all their investments and holdings, thousands and thousands of pages on, on because they're a huge uh, organisation. Holiday reading. <laughs> you know, so, but for, for people who are looking to kind of engage with them on very specific stuff it's useful because they can say you know you've got this share here what are you doing about that mm. and so lots of lots of the movement towards transparency in investment markets is because the idea of environmental and social investment is that if you hold shares in a company you should and it's doing problem stuff you should sort of at least not look away mm. you should maybe turn up to the agms and go hang about you know i want to ask a question what are you doing about this you know supply chain problem or, or this thing here and so we're seeing lots of companies put their voting records uh, financial institutions put their voting records on 
you know, online and you can see the detail of all this stuff. So when it comes to um, like investing, I feel like you've you mentioned there lots of the black rocks of this world who are investing the money from our savings accounts and pensions in the background, taking their money away from things. But where might that money be going to in the future? Or is that maybe the big question at the moment? So in, in, in SRI, we were talking about socially responsible investment, and the, the, there are kind of two, two core approaches to it. One is avoidance, and you say, I don't want to invest in arms or coal or tobacco. Other, you know, yeah. tobacco. You know, those are the classic ones that you would find in that sort of space. Um, and the other one is positive investment. So you say, well, what actually do we need to, to make it all work? And so you're looking for, you know, actively invest in whatever wind turbines or, you know, healthy food or, you know, some of the issues that we've talked about. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and much of the, you know, many of the big investors will merge those two approaches some are quite very specific. We just invest in this good stuff and you can find out about it. And in a sense that, you know, transparency works really well in that positive investment space because you can see people can tell you stories about, you know, the, the stuff that they've put up in the next county or in, you know, Spain or, or and, and give you detail about the projects. And you can kind of, you can feel, you know, you, you get some sense that you're part of, you've contributed if you like to a solution yeah where do you stand on like carbon offsetting when it comes to buying credits um yeah, um, yeah we've kind of traditionally taken a dim view of carbon okay. offsetting <laughs> and continue to do that really okay. i think um so why should people look out for that why are you a bit dubious about that issue um yeah, so, I mean, you know, there have been different ideas about how you could do it by providing cooking stoves to people in the global south so that they're not burning, um, you know, uh, biomass and this kind of stuff. Um, but, um, and, you know, again, there's sometimes, you know, investing in, in renewable energy projects elsewhere. But again, they kind of rely on very long timescales mm. going forward in order for the offsets to work for an impact that's happened, you know, that afternoon when you got off the plane to New York. You know, so it's kind of you're creating the bad impact now and then trying to solve it over very long periods going forward. And, and the idea that you can predict that, you know, with any certainty is a bit of a worry, I think, because if you get it, you know, when, we've only got one planet to play with. You don't want to make a mistake, do you? And so it's actually better not to, to create the impact in the first place. Wow. And the thing about offsetting is it kind of, you know, it gives you an excuse to not fix stuff by reducing the impact. And that's, that's such a good point. We need to know, change, really. There's no sort of... Uh... Afraid so, you know. I mean, it's not, <laughs> you know, it's not always the most exciting message to, to take, but it's true, isn't it? I, you know. Yeah. I, um, I, that was all super fascinating. I feel there are, there are a few other areas that we can delve into. So what about other financial products that we can get? Cars, we've already mentioned, but pets and home insurance. When it comes to insuring your car and your pet and your home, are there any ethical choices, sustainable options there? we should consider yeah so again i mean you know i, I like it as, as i said earlier on in any market there are the better and worse players and i think um around you know so so the thing about insurance companies is that they have 
you know, in, in a sense, they kind of hold a big pot of money until something goes wrong and then they pay out. And of course, lots of that money is in cash because they need it to pay out quickly if things go wrong. But lots of stuff isn't. And they actually, insurance companies collectively own masses of shares in all the companies around us. So in, in the same way, you know, if they're not thinking ethically about the shares that they're buying in order to hold these assets, we're in the same kind of problem again. Yeah. And particularly around climate, you know, there have been, been groups of insurance companies getting together to kind of scratch their heads about climate because in a sense they're having to pay out when the floods happen and, the you know, the fires happen and all this kind of, you know, so they're expensive. But at the same time, if their assets are sitting there in coal and oil, what what's that? doing that's such a good point yeah and so so particularly you know the last i think last time we looked at the sector was about a year and a half ago now there were big campaigns to persuade um insurance companies to unfriend coal was how the campaign was it was an australian campaign how it was uh it's very facebooky but yeah <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah See exactly yeah 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 <laughs> exactly. Vir- viral campaign <laughs> yeah and but it was bit you know it's been super and so you know, because of that campaign, insurance companies, um, you know, who are, are kind of agreeing with the, the goals, are refusing to insure new building projects for these. And, and so they're having, you know, it's becoming more difficult for, you know, producers to set up a new mine because you can't get insurance for the project and wow. this kind of stuff. So, it, you know, there are important things happening there. And so, so that was just about insuring other projects, but it's also about the assets that they hold. And so we, when we look at, when we review the sector, we try and look to see whether insurance companies are being transparent about all the assets they hold and whether they've got policies going, actually, we don't want to invest in this stuff and that stuff. So we've got some kind of overarching idea of, of socially responsible or ethical ideas guiding all our asset holdings. Mm. And I suppose when we think about where our insurer or where they might be putting their money, that's um, that's one thing we can control. But if we want to be investing our money ethically to start with, direct, how do we go about that? And what's some of the advice you would give for that? So so we there, when we look at those markets, there are kind of two ways of doing it. Okay. And, and one is what we call direct ethical investment, which is you, almost you buy a share or you do a crowdfunder in a little wind farm up the valley and this kind of okay. stuff so you you're directly investing in a single project um, and there are now crowdfunding platforms that specifically um, specialize in you know renewable energy stuff and ethical stuff so there's quite a lot of developed um, products out there that are really useful that we talk about on our website um, the other type is more of a kind of um, is is more of a screened approach. So it has um, a pool of stock market investments in ethical funds. And so what they will do is say, well, we'll not invest in tobacco or arms or you know, coal or the things that we know you don't like. Then we'll have a big pooled fund and you can invest in that, which has, you know, a, like like any pooled fund, you know, maybe 100 shareholdings. And by that, and in, in a sense... Those ones are meant to be less risky than mm. if you invest in a wind farm up the road. Something bad could go wrong and you could lose all your money. But I suppose you... it's one company versus exactly. 100. Yeah. 
but you know in a, in a sense you have much more control over where it goes if it's a direct investment with that one company but then again not not everyone could, you know that that has to be for a type of money that, that you, you're perhaps more prepared to lose than, than long-term savings and maybe something you're a bit more connected to i suppose if yeah. it's literally down the road yeah, no, that's great. And so the big, the pooled funds, you know, are now being used for around pensions. You can use these to, to support your pensions and all sorts of other products can be built around these pooled funds, ISAs, that stuff. That sounds like quite a nice, easy way to get into it. Are those kind of the ones you recommend for people or is either better or worse? They're just different? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, there's a whole kind of range of specialist journalism that looks at this area and they go, you know, we think this one is more or less risky and you get performance data on them and you can see, you know, who they're actually own shares in. So we've got our own ranking for those companies, but we use another uh, another organisation's rankings as well, which looks at different 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 elements of that. So there's a whole kind of specialism out there in looking at ethical pooled funds, trying to work out the best from the worst. So when we're talking about pensions and things like this, is it a good idea to maybe ask a financial advisor about more sustainable pensions or mortgages or things like that? Yeah, particularly particularly around pensions, complex financial products. Yeah, it's you want almost, some advice. Yeah, it's almost, you know, unless you're super clever at that stuff, it's almost almost, always worth getting, you know, proper financial advice at that point. Yeah, and I suppose it's about making an ethical choice, but it has to be the right one for you and your finances at the same time, right? Yeah, I mean, at, at Ethical Consumer, we've had a bit of a problem with financial advisors not always understanding ethics. And, you know, we talked a bit about changing the law earlier and, we, mm. you know, there have been campaigns to try and force financial advisors to ask at least one ethical question when they're engaging in financial advice with you. And uh, because not all of them do. And if, some, and if you go to some financial advisors and go, actually, I'd like ethical stuff, they look at you like you're a bit weird and go, you don't want to do that. Um, really? And so our advice is, if that is the case, walk away and find another one. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, again, on our website, we've got a list of ones who, you know, probably who are more experienced in this space, who understand this better. Um, but yeah, take financial advice, but also sometimes seek a second opinion, particularly if they tell you that ethics doesn't make any sense. Mm. And your website, ethicalconsumer.org, one of the places people go, can go to, obviously, that website? Yeah. So would you say ethical investments are better than your average old school investment? Or do you get a better return? Uh, there's a, you know, I, it's, uh, it's a $6 million question, that one, isn't <laughs> how it? How long is a piece of string? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, how long is the time period you're looking mm. over it? Because some of the ethical funds haven't been around that long. You know, mm, when's a, you a know, some people, when, you know, if you're investing in a pension, you've got 30-year timelines and not a lot of ethical funds go back that far, so you don't quite know. Wow. Um, you know, I think we, you know, in our magazine, we publish the uh, kind of ethical fund performance month on month and you can see that you know some of them are outperforming the stock market spectacularly well and others are not looking very good compared to the rest of the stock market so like any product i think you'll find you know there are star performers and there are and the ones that are having problems so that Mm -hmm. aren't so good it's like going out for a meal (laughs) yeah or like like green energy providers like we were saying earlier like you know there's there's lots of lots of people doing lots of different things in that area that's so interesting so the big sort of long-term financial products you've already mentioned pensions um mortgages i guess is another one what are the kind of 
is there a standard for making a conscious, sustainable choice in those sort of fields of product? On our website, we've got guides to all these products and we look in detail at all of them and they're all slightly different. The mortgages are interesting because you've got different types of provider in there. You've got uh, building societies which are run as mutuals and they're slightly different to the banks and they're kind of less likely to be investing in coal in Australia because that's just not how they operate. Okay. They mainly just build other houses with the money that is, is pulled there you know so um there are you know so there are almost there are some there are some businesses in the sector who are almost unconsciously ethical they didn't necessarily set out to be like that but because they're constituted differently and they do something in a different way they're, they're quite good ethical choices without necessarily trumpeting it too much so so with mortgages yeah we tend to prefer building societies over banks okay. but there are some super specialist mortgage providers who who are also into ethical banking and this kind of stuff so um and yeah and uh what which were the other ones that we were talking about i can't remember uh well pensions was another kind of big one as well that we were talking about again i suppose like we've said before is transparency the issue when it comes to talking to those providers and i guess looking at what ethical consumers research is behind it all i think so yeah i mean you know don't trust what a company says and you know (laughs) have a look you know and have a look at its shareholdings and see and if it won't tell you what they are then that's a bit of an alarm bell Mm. and you know and if when you look at it you're going hang about what's that doing in there then you know you can have a chat with them about it and see whether there's a you know a decent explanation Mm, that's quite true have you found that companies are quite open to that kind of i don't want to say interrogation maybe questioning from their consumers or is that quite a new thing that they they're kind of finding varies a lot and so some are quite into having that discussion but quite a lot aren't. I think say I'd say probably the majority is still a bit why why are you asking me this question in a way? I'm used to being a, a, a specialist and I just tell you what's right and I don't want, you know, what what possible you know, what can you bring to this discussion <laughs> that I don't already know. So there's a bit of there's a bit of specialty in the financial sector and, you know, obfuscation and that kind of stuff. <laughs> so interesting this i love it um i also wanted to ask like when we're we're consumers i guess if we want more of this is it really a case and when i say this i mean sustainable options when it comes to finance is it a case of you got to put your money where your ethics are in a sense yeah and i think you know people the the, it's a big boom sector at the moment because lots of people are doing that uh, and institutions too and becoming more concerned around particularly climate stuff. Everyone is becoming more conscious about their own choices, I think, uh, the last couple of years. And ethical investment also is seeing a boom, more money going into it also from institutions. Um, So, and yeah, because, you know, in a sense, these institutions rely on people, ordinary people's money in order to function. You know, if we give them, if we give more of it to the better institutions, they should grow or to the better products, there should be more of them. And it does work. So, yeah. And in a, in a sense, you know, big, you know, profit seeking institutions will follow the money. And that's one of the things that we seek to do as ethical consumer. We know, you know, we, you, you, we know 
how companies will respond to boom sectors and all you need to do is make the ethical sector boom by putting a bit of extra cash in it. Wow. I mean, there's lots of other stuff that can help, like regulation. Okay. Um, and so, you know, there are people in this space as well that, you know, we, it would be great if, you know, um, the government's toyed with the idea of, 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 of asking all companies to make statements about how they invest, about how ethical their investments are. Some do, uh, some don't. Um, so there are, um, they're making requirements on companies to, to, to go public and be more transparent about what they do to enable people to do this stuff. Great. So you think that would that would definitely help? And I suppose also we're sounds like we're seeing more of more options when it comes to ethical, sustainable options. Anyway, because like you say, it's a boom area. I think so. Yeah. No. I, you know, we we come back to it every two years, and there's more. There's always more stuff going on. There's more stuff going on. This is an exciting area. Um. So for anyone who's been listening to all of that advice that you've just given us, Rob, and you want them to take away three top things, what would your three top takeaways from today's chat be? Okay, number one, buy less stuff. You know, do you really it's need all these It's always better for the things? wallet. <laughs> yeah, or get some secondhand stuff. So buy less. Next one is kind of learn about carbon. There's an idea of carbon literacy and just kind of try and understand where the big impacts are in your life and what you can do about it because it's sort of important now. Um, and then the the last one is around financial services and financial products. You know, don't take a company's word for it. Uh, ask them for some evidence and look for transparency in where they're putting the money. Great tips, those. Great tips. We always ask our guests, Rob, one final and very important question. Your 18-year-old self, if you could give them any advice, I'm guessing they're on a march right now, uh, what would it be? You're not the only person there trying to make change happen. Um, there are lots of, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of people out there trying to change markets in this way. Um, and it's slow and sometimes you feel that the progress ain't great. Um, but by and large, the direction of travel is encouraging and you're not on your own. And it doesn't kind of matter if everything isn't perfect all the time. You can't save the world on your own. Exactly. There's <laughs> margins for error. You don't have to make everything instantly ethical from tomorrow or the sky will fall on your head in a sense. It's all it's all about a direction of travel and just understanding how things work and, and how to make change happen. And your own personal choices are super important. There you go. Put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> um, Rob Harrison from ethicalconsumer.org. Thank you so much for joining me on The Penny Drops. And just a reminder for you, as always, there'll be more resources in this episode's show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Penny Drops. We hope you learned something new and useful to help you with your finances. We'd love to hear what you think of the series, so please do leave us a review. Or if you have any comments or money questions you'd like us to cover, you can get in touch at thepennydrops at royallondon.com. This podcast series is brought to you by Royal London, the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company. Royal London. Determination since 1861. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Royal London.